0: So I get excited about even the hard times because God is separating the sheep and the goats. And I love to be a part of what God is doing. I don't want God to be a part of what I'm doing. I want to go where he's at and do what he's doing.
1: Welcome everyone to First Person, a weekly conversation centered on a person's story of faith and calling. I'm Wayne Shepherd and this week you'll meet Tommy Moore of World Relief. A few months ago I heard Tommy speak in our local church and I was deeply moved by his challenging remarks stemming from his life story. And I want you to hear it today here on First Person. But before we get to today's guest, please take some time soon to visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com. You'll have access to additional information about today's guest, a schedule of what's coming up in the weeks ahead, and an audio archive of all past programs. Again, we're found at firstpersoninterview.com. And for interaction with other listeners and to leave your comments, look us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Tommy Moore works as a church mobilizer at World Relief in the Chicago area, and in that role, he often motivates people to spiritually and physically support the refugees and immigrants that live in our communities. But Tommy's story of how God formed his heart for this work is exciting, and I started by asking him to explain his role at World Relief.
0: Well, currently I'm working and have been for about a year as their church mobilizer. And what that means is that I go out and I seek engagement, friendship engagement with the local pastors. Uh, World Relief has had a rich history of uh, dialoguing with uh, churches from across the nation, but specifically I'm working in the DuPage-Aurora area. And so that's a large territory for what I have uh, to do in the time that I allocate to them. However, I've, my strategy is, is number one, to work with their current church basis to see how we can take them in a deeper relationship as it relates to the mission of World Relief, which is to partner with the local church and empower her and, and enable her to do uh, ministry to the vulnerable amongst us. And mm-hmm. the vulnerable that we have identified for World Relief are the refugees and immigrants. And my engagement with the pastors to first say, you know, how do we build God's kingdom together as it relates to refugees and immigrants?
1: So you work around Chicago with the churches, and it might surprise everyone to know just how many refugees there are and from how many different points around the world they they really come to the to the U.S. and many of them come through Chicago, don't they?
0: That is very correct. Chicago, DuPage, Aurora, and uh, just our offices along are are reselling about five hundred a year, hmm. and that's not counting the Chicago. Those office. are families, five hundred. These families? are families, yeah. yes, and and which. We are expecting within the next year, the end end of the issue toward the beginning of the next year, uh, to resettle as a nation about 50,000 from Congo. Hmm. So, World Relief will get a percentage like the other resettlement agencies. And so... Part of my responsibility is to try to help prepare the hearts and minds of the current pastors that we have, plus new pastors. There's, there's tremendous amount of opportunity that the church has to reach out to these families. Well, that's
1: no small task. And I want to talk more about world relief and your, your heart uh, for the refugees among us. But I want you to tell your story, too. You grew up in Chicago on what the west side of Chicago?
0: That is correct. I grew up on the west side of Chicago, as we call right, it affectionately. Right. Call it
1: for those around the country. Tell me about that neighborhood.
0: What the west side of Chicago, unlike the north side of Chicago and even south side of Chicago, has um, the reputation of being um, uh, very violent, only in the sense of. Gangs. I mean, we started off with Al Capone, and from that, it has escalated to something that Chicago now has no way of trying to control. And so I strongly believe that it's going to take the church in order to do that. But I grew up in the midst of the violence um, and uh, the gangs and also the drugs. However, in my era, even though we had those elements, it wasn't nearly as to what it is today. I mean, we still had the love, concern. As a matter of fact, there were sacred things that the gangs did, believe it or not, when there was going to be a, a turf war. They would warn us get in the house, stay out of the way, or it's going to be in this area. And so there were some sacred places that There was some protocol involved
1: even with a a gang. That's right. That's amazing. That's right. But that's not true now?
0: It's not true at all now. Um, Now it's like every person for themselves – Um, They will shoot at any time, not intending to hit the people that they hit. But because, again, you're talking about this powerful instrument they have in their hands and trying to hit another person who is on the opposite side of their turf and pretty much is all about drugs and and territory. So you grew up there in the 70s? I grew up there in the 70s and the 80s. Public housing. Henry Horner Homes to be exact. Mm -hmm. Similar to uh, uh, Cabrini-Green. Um, and we didn't have as much press as Cabrini Green, but it was just as uh, rough and violent to live in. But again, the love that we had, we there were certain elders in those areas that, when they said certain things, things began to slow down. Hmm. But nowadays, it's truly out of control. It's total chaos it's now. It's total isn't it? chaos yeah. now. Hmm. Yeah, total. So, what was your family life like growing up in that environment? I grew up in a somewhat large family, um, seven. Um, I was the baby boy, and um, life for me was pretty good. Being the baby boy, you you pretty much get spoiled. Uh, Your siblings have to do everything. And so I knew what to do and what not to do around mom and also dad. Unfortunately, dad left home when I was about 12 years old, and that's when life began to take a tailspin for me. Hmm. Not having that father figure, that role model in my life began to really uh, cause me to ask the questions, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? And I'm talking 12 and a half, 13 very, I became very, very suicidal in my mind. Wow. Never really attempted to kill myself, but contemplated almost every night be, before I laid my head on the bed. Because, because it just seemed hopeless? Seemed hopeless for me. I did not. This is the, the irony of uh, housing. It was probably in the mid to late 70s that they started gating up the uh, ramps in housing. Now, what do you mean by that? Gating up, meaning they put the type of fencing in front of you that you would find uh, almost like in a prison cell uh, in front of the ramp so that where you could look outside the ramp, you couldn't do it anymore because now you're barred in as if you were in prison. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, and I understand why they did it, but it didn't do anything for the psyche In that
1: environment, somehow you came to Christ. You you came to faith. How how did that come about?
0: Well, we have always been from a church-believing church family. In other words, we were made to go to church. We had no options like they do today. Uh, Whether mom or dad went, you went. Church was part of the social fabric for you. Church was a part of our fabric. And so when... We moved into this new area called the Henry Horner Homes. We were new on the block. We didn't know where to go. And so mom said, you're going somewhere. Well, we had a large metropolitan church right behind where we live. I'm talking about directly behind the building. But no one came and knocked on our door. So mom saw the building and said, that's the place where you all are going to go. So we did. It was four of us at the time still living at home. We dressed and got ready and went over to the church and— we were shunned. You were from the neighborhood, though. This neighborhood. It was same people group, but it was upper class folks that were mo- coming oh. in to the church. So, so you were words, rejected
1: by other blacks?
0: Yes. we were. They were commuting in. So I came home, being the spokesperson that I am, <laughs> and I said, Mom, that church don't like us at all. And she says, okay, fine. You don't have to go there, but you will go somewhere. Hmm. Lo and behold, about a month later... We still didn't find a place. And I was happy about that because my church on Sunday was sports. Mm-hmm. But mom saw this blue bus coming through the neighborhood. And she said, you guys are going to get on that bus. They're going somewhere. It's Sunday morning. <laughs> so we're, here we go, stuck again. And so we, we get ready for Sunday service, which was just Sunday school. And we get on the bus. It was hundreds of young people children from the age of two all the way up through high school. All pushed and, on by their mothers. Huh? Pushed made, <laughs> mothers made them go on this bus because you're going somewhere. To me, it was very confusing and chaotic. And mind you, I knew church, but I didn't know God. I didn't know Christ. And so we go to this place and hundreds of children learned. This was just one bus that came to this place. And I said to myself, we will not be here again. <laughs> Got home, and the spokesperson that I was, I said, Mom, that is not church. Those, they have no control of their children. Those children are running all over. We didn't learn anything. She says, fine, you don't have to go again, but you will find something. At this point, fast forward, I'm about 13, and I'm like I said, my mind's very suicidal. My brother Melvin began to believe in me. And he began to tell me that I could be somebody. Hmm. And he's two and a half years older than I am. And he became a father figure. He became my father figure. He became the person who said, I'm going to make sure you do good. He kept saying to me almost all the time, the only reason I live is for you. And so I was six feet tall at the age of 13. (laughs) And he said, you can play basketball. And I'm like. Yeah, that's my ticket out of the slums. I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to become the next black millionaire through basketball. First problem was that no one was trying to recruit me, even <laughs> though I was that tall. But that wasn't really abnormal because back in the city, if you're that tall, they would grab you and train you in the sport. Well, my second problem was greater than my first problem. I couldn't play ball. <laughs> but Melvin you, said, I'm going to solve that problem. You had more. the height, but not the coordination? I had the height, no coordination at all. But uh-huh. Melvin, he taught me basketball before and after school, and he beat me profusely And it made me determined to do something well. And that was basketball. We'll go further into the story of Tommy Moore coming up in the second half of
1: today's edition of First Person. Next time, you'll hear the life story and ministry of Hall of Fame broadcaster Al Sanders. We never sat down to say, this is what we want to do for our future. We want to be here in this square at this particular time, and this square another particular time. We just began, and God brought blessing upon blessing. You may not know his name, but you'll certainly recognize his voice and the lasting impact he's had on Christian radio. Al Sanders joins us next time on First Person. My guest on first person today is my friend Tommy Moore, who is a church mobilizer with world relief in the Chicago area, and we 're hearing tommy 's life story. We left at a dramatic moment where you wanted to play basketball, Tommy, but uh, didn't have the skill to play basketball, and somehow that that God used all that to uh, to change your life. What happened?
0: What happened is Melvin, my brother, he went to this place called the Chicago Gospel Youth Center, and this was at the heightened point of my life where he was teaching me basketball. I mean, for a good six months to a year at age 13, all I could do was a two-handed dunk Hmm. at the age of 13. And people saying, that's awesome, that's awesome, you're going to beat somebody. And I knew deep in my heart this was going to take more than dunking the ball with Mm -hmm. two hands. Well, a couple years passed. I'm 16 now. Melvin is now engaged in this thing called Jesus Christ at the Chicago Gospel Youth Center. He became a believer. He became a believer. He comes home very excited like believers are, and he tells me, he says, I found something that you need. And so he started telling me about the gospel and Jesus and dying and my sins and going to hell. And I told him, I said, Melvin, I do not want that stuff. I said, We have been in this environment. And he said, I told him, I said, if God cared about us, why are we stuck in this mess? Mm. Because I grew up, you know, uh, quite frankly, Wayne, thinking that God was a bigot. He seemed to so abundantly bless white people. Mm. So I told Melvin, why would he look at me? He said, look at us. I said, leave me alone with that stuff. And he says, Tommy, he says, God is not like that. We have God all wrong. He loves us oh so dearly. And he kept trying to convince me. And finally, he said, I don't want you to go to hell. I said, you know what? I feel like I'm in hell. What a brother. But he didn't stop. He kept praying. And then finally, he said, we got some boys and guys down there at that youth center who can beat you behind in basketball. (laughs) And that's what stopped me in my tracks, (laughs) literally. Because he was my number one fan. And now he said, there's some people who can whoop me. I got to (laughs) go. He knew what button to push. He (laughs) knew what button to push. Long story short, I go down to this youth center. I play basketball and I'm having fun. I said, this is my new home. I don't have to worry about fighting when I won the game of basketball. And by the way, I didn't hear any profanity. I'm like, this is crazy. It was a, it was converted horse stable into uh, a place of uh, where young people can come, and they've had basketball and volleyball. You can play simultaneously. Another level, they had all type of recreational games. But he says, Tommy, I still want you to get to know this Jesus. Well, it was a high school night, 16 to 18 years older in this room. Well, they were playing a movie called Thief in the Night. Oh, I remember, yeah. And that was the movie that God used to draw me to himself. All about the second coming. Second coming of the Lord. (laughs) And I said, God, I'm so glad you didn't come back. I would have been left behind. (laughs) And so I didn't receive Christ that night, but I went home on the bus and I thought about my life with Christ. Made up in my mind that... If, if God allowed me an opportunity to get back to the Gospel Youth Center, that I will give my life to him completely. Because I had to wrestle with this thing. What does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. I got to change who I am. I got to change the way I dress. What does all this mean, God? So finally, I make it back Friday night. Preacher got up. He said some things. I don't even know what he said. I was just too ready. Now, remember, there's about 120 high schoolers from all across the city of Chicago in this room. And so he asked the question at the end of his message, anybody want to receive Christ? He says, come forward. Well, I wasn't moving. There's too many people in this room. The peer pressure was just tremendous. Then he said, okay, fine. You don't want to come forward? Raise your hand. I didn't do that either. I don't think so. So when he dismissed everybody to go downstairs because it was a three-level building, we went, they went downstairs. I sat in my seat. I grabbed them by the shoulder once everybody left and said, I need to know more about this Jesus. He was somewhat shocked, took me in the next room, opened his Bible, and did the best thing that anybody could do for anyone seeking Christ. He began to explain the gospel line upon line. And he says, young man, just before you pray and receive and repent of your sins to Christ, I just want you to know. It doesn't mean everything is going to turn from bad to good. Hmm. It doesn't mean that you're going to start walking on a bed of roses. But it does mean that he will give you whatever you need to weather whatever storms that may come your way. And I told him, I said, I don't understand all of what you're talking about, but I know I need him. So I received Christ in my life. I asked him to, to take charge. And when I said amen, I didn't hear any bells, any whistling, <laughs> no lights, no singing. But I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew, Wayne, that something was different about Tommy Moore at 16 years of age. And your life turned on it that turned. point, didn't it? It turned from that point yeah. on. And yeah. It took a good six months to a year before I discovered it means a full expression of who I am, a, a full surrender. But it changed. Hmm. Well,
1: uh, we're going to have to, again, skip so much. We've got about five minutes left. And I want to get to the message of your life, Tommy. You, know, you express it so well. But I know Moody Bible Institute came into play there. Yes. And you went to school. You became a pastor. You worked with Compassion International. Became a pastor again on the west side, the mm-hmm. home turf for you yes. in Chicago. Yes. World relief now. Uh, talk to me about what you—I How I mean, your family came along, your wife. Right, and these, right. These, these kids that you have that are grown now. But, yes. Uh, tell me about the message of your life, and, and and talk to us about how we should look at our lives.
0: My, the message of my life has been my love of God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to be a responsible person while on planet Earth mean, meant for me is to love my wife the way God loved her, period, Like he, like Christ loved the church and that my children may see the expression of that so that when they moved out on their own they had some godly examples that was your first call that was as my a first husband call. and father that's the reason why i stopped going to moody and got some 15 years later, allowed me to finish school through Fuller Theological Seminary. Because your family was your ministry. Because my family was and is my ministry at that time. And so through that, God began to open other doors. We've had some challenging times, but one thing I know for sure, that he has called all believers to this. Primarily after loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's called us to begin to make holistic disciples and to begin to live out our faith in such a way that we begin to transcend the ethnic and economical and the 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 social ills and denominational ills that keep us apart This whole idea, my passion in life now has been for the last 15, 20 years, and I imagine it will be this way until he takes me home, is to be used by him to help develop holistic disciples and to challenge the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, to come out from amongst those things that keep us apart. Those denominational backgrounds, those ethnic uh, cultural backgrounds, what we call race, and also those socioeconomic backgrounds, because God wants a body that loves him for who he is and to love one another. And this is why I see the whole way of reaching out to refugees and immigrants as God giving us another chance. He, He's bringing to, them to us. nation. Yeah. He's bringing them to us now. They're right at our doorstep. Now we can mess up and decide that we're not going to deal with the refugees. As a matter of fact, I will help the refugees. I'm just not going to mess with the immigrants mm. because they're not here legally. Mm. They are undocumented. Mm. As, that's the new word we use. Yeah, of course, yeah. it used to be yeah. illegal. We're trying to change the language. Aren't no, right? the thing is God has called us to love all peoples, especially the strangers among us and so my passion is being used by God to challenge us to look beyond ourselves and say what does the king of kings require what is his agenda because it definitely is not doing quote-unquote church the way we're doing church he wants to build this new kingdom his community his way And so I'm just passionate about wherever God would open that door for me to speak the language so that people begin to understand that people have not been taught what it means to be a true, holistic, full disciple of this new kingdom. And that's what God is building. All right. Do you sense a stirring? Do you sense that things are beginning to change? Yes, I do. I do. And the reason why I sense that they're changing is because we as the church don't know what to do. We can't throw money at these things that are going on anymore, although we have it to do. Mm -hmm. And so it's driving us now back to ask the question, Lord, what are you saying? Mm -hmm. With all of the turmoil and violence that's happening worldwide, but especially in our own nation, it's going to drive the church back to her knees. Think about 9-11. That's the only time the church got back to her knees and began to say, Lord, what are you saying? God is bringing down our gods because he says, I'm a jealous God. There'll be no other before me. Our gods, I strongly believe in America. One of them is our economics and our comfort. And God's saying for the people who know me and love me, I got something different planned for you. This is your life is my life. Now, remember you gave it to me when you prayed that prayer? We didn't think it was all of us, but God said it's all of you. That's what I want. So I get excited about even the hard times because God is separating the sheep and the goats. And I love to be a part of what God is doing. I don't want God to be a part of what I'm doing. I want to go where He's at and do what He's doing. So yeah, I get very excited about that way. It never ceases to amaze me the
1: circumstances that God uses to prepare a person's heart for ministry. I loved hearing Tommy Moore's story today and see how the Lord is using him today to teach us important lessons about helping others. If you'd like more information about Tommy and his ministry with World Relief, it's available online easily at FirstPersonInterview.com. We're also available on Facebook at Facebook.com FirstPersonInterview. Next week, our guest will be a very familiar and longtime voice on Christian radio. Al Sanders will join us to talk about developing and hosting many of the radio programs that have been such a blessing through the years. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Don't miss the conversation next time when you join us for First Person.